I'm excited to share with you today uh, to look at the book of Job. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Job chapter 19 specifically. Uh, Chad told me I was supposed to cover somewhere between Job chapter 15 all the way through Job 23. That's a lot. So we're going to spend most of our time in Job 19, uh, trying to keep it simple for us today. Um, but Job chapter 19 is where we'll be. I came across a, a letter that was written by this guy to uh, this insurance company um, because he had gotten injured on the job. And I want to read you that letter. It's uh, interesting. He said this, I'm writing in response to your request for additional information. In block number three of the accident reporting form, I put poor planning as the cause of my accident. You said in your letter that I should explain more, and I trust that the following details will be sufficient. I am a bricklayer by trade. On the day of the accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-story building. When I completed my work, I discovered that I had about 500 pounds of bricks left over. Rather than carry the bricks down by hand, I decided to lower them in a barrel by using a pulley, which fortunately was attached to the side of the building on the sixth floor. Securing the rope at ground level, I went up to the roof, swung the barrel out, and loaded the bricks into it. Then I went back to ground level, untied the rope, holding it tightly to ensure slow descent of the 500 pounds of bricks. You will note in block number 11 of the accident reporting form that I weigh 175 pounds. <laughs> Due to my surprise of being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rapid rate up the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming down. This explains the fractured skull and broken collarbone. Slowed only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until my fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep into the pulley. Fortunately, by this time, I had regained my presence of mind, was able to hold tightly to the rope in spite of the pain. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground, and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Devoid of the weight of bricks, the barrel now weighed approximately 50 pounds. I referred you again to the weight of my, to my weight in block number 11. As you might imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building. In the vicinity of the third floor, I met the barrel coming up. This accounts for the two fractures in my ankles and lacerations on my leg and lower body. The encounter with the barrel slowed me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell into the pile of bricks. And fortunately, only three vertebrae were cracked. I am sorry to report, however, that as I lay there on the bricks in pain, unable to move, and watching the barrel six stories above, I again lost my presence of mind and let go of the rope. Uh, what a bad day, huh? What a bad day. You guys ever have a, have a bad day? I know you've been looking at the book of Job, Job who he understands what it's like to have a bad day. And we read uh, the story of Job. And we read that story, and it's laugh. we laugh, and it's funny. But isn't it true that uh, you and I, we've had bad days before? That uh, if for some of us, bad days have turned into bad weeks, and sometimes bad weeks will turn into bad months, and sometimes quickly bad months can turn into bad years. Uh, and sometimes in life it's hard and it's tough to believe promises like God is for us, he's not against us. That God is for us, not against us. Sometimes life just gets so out of control that it's tough to believe things like that. Um, that's where Job is at, right? That's where Job is at. His life is out of control. And sometimes in those moments, it's hard to believe that God is still good. That God is still good when life is so bad. Sometimes what happens to us when we walk out of the doctor's office and the doctor says, it's not going to be okay. Sometimes it happens when we walk out of the boss's office and it's not going to be okay. Uh, sometimes it's heartache and tragedy. It's violence. It's oppression of the innocence, and things are not going to be okay. It's a relationship that was once full of love, but 
there's not much love anymore. And we say, God, are you really still good? Are you really still for me? Uh, it's yesterday when this 22-year-old grad student walked to my office, sat down, and she told me about a friend of hers who was supposed to graduate yesterday from college, but this past Wednesday, he shot himself, committed suicide. Um, she wasn't even certain why, and he left behind a family, left behind a best friend who was sitting there asking, why? Why did this happen? In fact, her very words were this, I keep asking God why he would do this to me. Isn't that the question sometimes that we ask in the midst of trouble, in the midst of tragedy and heartache and tough times? God, why is this happening? And even more than that, why is this happening to me? Why would this happen to me? You know, there are a number of different themes that stretch through the book of Job. I'm sure Chad will bring all those out over the next the past couple of weeks, the next couple of weeks, there are a lot of themes that run through the book of Job. So I don't claim that this is the theme of Job, but it's certainly one of them. And it's the topic I want to talk about today. That is this, that Job has a faith that goes beyond circumstance. Job exhibits a faith in his life that goes beyond the circumstance in which he sees. Sometimes the circumstances of our life challenge our faith, doesn't it? To say that our God is still good and he's still for us. He's not against us. Um, so if you have your Bibles, Job chapter 19, I want to read to you just a couple verses to just get us started. In Job chapter 19, verse 23, I'm going to read all the way through verse 27, just a couple verses here, and then I'll pray for us, and we're going to look at these verses. Verse 23 says this, Oh, that my words are recorded. Oh, by the way, this is Job speaking, sorry. I know a lot of people are, different people are speaking, so this is Job. Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. Verse 25, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Hey, let's pray, and we'll talk about a faith that goes beyond circumstance. God, I thank you uh, just for today. I thank you that you would call me to speak. I'm so unworthy, but I pray it be by your grace and your strength that it happens today. Um, God, I pray as we even sang the song earlier that you open our eyes. We want to see you better. Um, we want to know you better. We want to understand you better because of this time. So, God, I pray that you would just let your word change our hearts, um, that it would be sharper than any double-edged sword. Um, so, God, meet us here. We want to love you better because of this time. In your name I pray. Amen. Uh, before we uh, dive into these verses, I want to give you a, just a word of caution to begin with uh, when we look at these verses. And that caution is this. Let's not read too much into these words. Uh, I know that sounds weird. But let's not read too much into these words. And what I mean by that is when you hear in verse 25, I know that my Redeemer lives, what is it that you think about? What is the first thought that comes to your mind? I know my Redeemer lives. For me, the first thing I think of is Jesus. Right? That's the first thought. My Redeemer lives. We sing songs like my Redeemer. I won't sing it for you, but we sing songs that have words. My Redeemer lives because we live in 2012 and we look back. We live this side of the cross and we see that Jesus is our Redeemer. And that's that's not not true that my Redeemer lives, that Jesus is our Redeemer and that he died, but he rose again. Our Redeemer lives. He has paid the price for us. He has redeemed us. That's certainly true. Um, but whenever you study the Bible, right, one of the first things you should think about is what is the original audience thinking and what is the author thinking, right? And now the book of Job was, some people say, the first book ever written. It was written a long, long time ago. A long time ago it was written well before Jesus ever showed up 
on the on the scene. So we have to consider the context that is going on. And, and so I just say, here's two, we've got to avoid two extremes. And the first extreme is this. We must be careful not to read back into this passage too much of our resurrection theology. We've got to be careful, right? Because did Job fully understand all of who Jesus was? Certainly not. But with that said, we have to avoid the other extreme of just ignoring it altogether. We have to avoid just ignoring it altogether uh, because... I know, you know, the Bible's inspired by God, that God knows all of time. And even more than that, as Chad even said last week, because I podcasted him, uh, he talked about um, how Jesus even shows up in the book of Job, doesn't he? And how Job is looking for a savior. He's looking for one to forgive. He sees his need for forgiveness, and he, he's looking to that. So Jesus shows up, and even more than that, on a broader scale, we know all the Bible, all the Old Testament's pointing to Jesus, that someday a savior is going to come um, Anyways, but we need to avoid those, those two extremes. We can't ignore it. We can't read too much into it. Um, but with that said, we come to a passage here that describes the incredible faith of Job despite the circumstances around him. Um, the first thing I want you to notice about this passage is I want you to notice the timing of his faith, the timing of his faith. So now remember uh, where Job is at in this point in his life. I picture him. He's like sitting on the ground somewhere. He's got all these sores all over his body. He's got like a piece of broken pottery and he's scratching his wounds and trying to stop the blood. And there's no like, there's not really lotion available at that time to make it feel better. When I was in, uh, when I was in college, I worked as a camp counselor uh, down at this camp in Southern Oregon, this middle school camp this particular week. And this uh, sixth grade boy was so excited to be at camp, so excited. They showed up and uh, the day before, uh, in his excitement, I don't know why, he thought it'd be a good idea to shave his head bald. And so he shaved, and he shows up. I don't think he'd ever shaved his head before because he was just bright, like white, like glow-in-the-dark white head, right, when he shows up, when he shows up to camp. And so he shows up the very first day of camp. He spends the entire day down at the lake in the sun that's just blasting down on him. No sunscreen. He's sixth grader. Don't even think about that, right? Goes the entire day on day two of the camp. He spends his entire day in the nurse's station because he's got, like, these blisters that have formed on his head. It's bright red, and there's, like, this nasty ooze stuff that's coming out of his head. It, pretty much ruined his whole week. In fact, we nicknamed him the rest of the week Job. That's what we called him, right? Because because that's what we would, that's, even when I think about the story of Job, that's what I think about. This guy, he's like oozing from the head, his head, and that's where Job is at. He's lost his health. He's lost his health, and he's got, he's got sores all over his body, but it's not just his health, right? He's also lost his family. He's attended the funeral of his children. I have a daughter. She was around. I think she's taken off now because... We haven't really taught the preacher's daughter how to be quiet yet. Um, but, uh, but, she, but I can't imagine losing a child, and yet here's Job. He's lost many children. The, the children that he, that he would rock to sleep at night, and he, he taught how to farm, that he taught how to, to fish, and he taught how to hunt, that he would have disciplined, that he loved, and they're, they're gone. He's lost his family. It's not just his body. It's not just his children. But it's also his, all he's worked for his whole life, his wealth is gone. It's been stripped away. Uh, he's left with nothing. Everything is gone. And not only that, a lot of times it's the point where the pastor makes a joke about his wife. Uh, his wife wasn't much help either, right? His wife said, curse God and die, right? They're not, really, not a really loving wife in a situation like that. But then he's also got these friends, and these friends who uh, come alongside, and they're not really all that helpful at all. They're accusing Job of just ton of sin in his life. He must have done terrible things for terrible things to happen. Uh, Abraham Lincoln said, he who has a right to criticize is he who has a heart to help. And they have no heart to help at all. All they want to do is criticize him and they're constantly attacking him. Um, he feels alone. 
doesn't he? Wouldn't you feel alone in a situation like that? Uh, his plea for answers has gone unanswered. Have you ever been in that place before where you just want to know why God and it's like there's just no answer at all? That's where, that's where Job is at. Uh, his brokenness is evident to everyone, but what we see in this passage is that his faith is also evident to everyone. Even when circumstances would say there should be no faith, he still exhibits faith. Um, so after all the disaster that's happened in his life, uh, Job enters into dialogue, a debate with his friends that Chad went through last week, the first round debates, as his friends try to explain why all these bad things have happening, as, happened, as if man can explain why God does something, but that's what they try to do. Then we enter, when you enter into chapter 15, we enter into a second round of debates, and uh, we won't, we're obviously not going to read all the way through all of that, all the debate that takes place, but I just want you to look at what happens in chapter 19, because it'll kind of set us up today for what we're going to talk about, because Job's kind of answering some stuff. Look at verse 2, he says this, how long will you torment me and crush me with words, talking to his friends? So the first thing that's happened, just to set up the context, the timing of this, is that his friends have tormented him. His friends have abandoned him. That's how he feels. But then skip ahead to verse 11 because he's going to talk about God. He says this, his anger, that's God, burns against me. He counts me among his enemies. It's not just that my friends are, are criticizing me and attacking me and tormenting me, but also God. He counts me as an enemy. And then look at verse 13 because this is where, to me, it gets even crazier. He says this, talking about his friends and how all those that he cared about, they've completely abandoned him. He says this, he has alienated my brothers from me. My acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My kinsmen have gone away. My friends have forgotten me. My guests and my maidservants count me a stranger. They look upon me as an alien. But it gets worse. I summon my servant, but he does not answer, though I beg him with my own mouth. In verse 17, my breath is offensive to my wife. Sometimes my wife says that to me. I am loathsome to my own brothers. Verse 18, even the little boys scorn me, which I, when I appear, they ridicule me. Then verse 19, all my intimate friends detest me. And this is just like the killer, the, the kick him while he's down. Though I, those I love have turned against me. It's not just that his, his friends are attacking him. It's not just that God is what he feels like become his enemy. But then even those that he loves have turned against him. That's where he's at. That's the timing. I want you to think about the timing this takes place. And it is out of that situation that he says, verse 25, in fact, the original Hebrew, the word probably should be there is, but, but I know, despite all that has happened, but I know that my Redeemer lives. A faith that goes beyond circumstance. Um, even more than that, verse 23 and 24. Well, the word redeemer there, we'll, we'll talk about it more in a second, but some translations of the Bible actually don't translate it redeemer. They translate it, uh, they, what do they translate it? They translate it uh, vindicated, my, my vindicator. They translate it like that because Job wants to be vindicated. He wants to be made to look right because everyone's looking at him and saying, you have done something terrible. That's why these terrible things have happened. He wants to be vindicated. That's why he cries out in verse 23, oh, that my words are recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed on an iron tool on lead or engraved in rock forever. He wants his testimony to go on forever. You ever take a a knife and like carve it into the side of a tree before, carve your name into that or something? When I was at summer camp, when I was a kid, me and a a buddy of mine on the, the bunk beds, 
this is bad, we carved our names into the bunk bed because our hope was the next year we could run back there and we could see our names carved in there. We came back and there it was. The next year it was still there, right? And that's what that's the idea of what Job is saying here. He wants his testimony to live on forever because he's afraid that people are going to view him just like his friends do. That he has done something terrible and Job's trying, I want to be vindicated. I want my life to be made right. I want people to see me for what I really have done. I'm actually, I'm, I'm a good person. I fear God and yet all these terrible, terrible things have happened to me. And it's out of that timing that he cries. And I know that my Redeemer lives. The timing's important, isn't it? Because it's easy. It's easy to have faith when things are good, but it's not easy to have faith when things are out of control. Isn't that true? It's easy to have faith when the grass is green, the sun is out, and the water's cool. But it's not easy when the ground is rough and the rain is pouring and lightning's about to strike. That's when it gets really hard. Job's faith goes beyond circumstances. It goes beyond the circumstance that he lives in. Um, have you ever been in a time like that when things are just kind of out of control and it's hard to say, I have faith in God? Ever been in a circumstance like that, that kind of timing in your life? Um, when you have a choice to walk by faith or walk the other direction, when you have a choice, a decision to make to trust or not to trust, uh, that's what Job is faced with, and he chooses to say, I'll have faith. My Redeemer lives. I've been there in my life. Uh, Kaden, uh, before she was born, my wife was pregnant, and uh, I remember the day really well. It was a Sunday um, in the spring. And uh, we were at church, and I had just preached, and we just gotten done, and my wife had gotten up and left, and I was talking with people who were cleaning stuff up. I didn't even notice that my wife was gone. She had disappeared, so I didn't even know she was gone until my cell phone was vibrating. I grabbed it, I pulled it out, I looked at it. It was my wife, and all it said was, going to the hospital, come quick. And that's not a, that's not a good sign, right? So, uh, so I'm like, what, what in the world? So I, I call her, and she's like, just come quick. And I get there and go back, and they take me back to the emergency room where she was at. And she was having a miscarriage. She was miscarrying our first child. And I remember being in those, just those first moments of walking in there and seeing just blood, and my wife is scared, and I'm, there's a lot of fear, and, and you're, you're angry, and you're sad, and just all those emotions thrown into one. And it just what in the world is going on, God? I remember after just going through the whole process and finally we were sitting in, in the room all by ourselves and everything was okay and they're getting ready to discharge us and leave. I'm just sitting there in silence, just thinking in my head, the question that runs through, God, what, what's going on? Why would you do this? I'm, I'm a pastor. I've done the right things. I've been a good person. Why wouldn't, we, why wouldn't you allow, now why would bad things come my way? It's in those moments when we're faced to choose. Will I walk by faith or will I walk the other direction? Will I choose to trust or will I not? Will my faith go beyond my circumstance? You ever been in a place like that? In a time in your life when things are just out of control? That's exactly where Job is. And Job, when the world was crashing in on him, and when he says, my Redeemer, my Redeemer will live. Uh, let's look at that phrase, my Redeemer lives. My Bible keeps like flipping. It's confusing. Uh, Verse 25, I know that my Redeemer lives. Just notice some things about this verse. Let's camp out here for a second. I know. He doesn't say, I hope. He doesn't even say that I uh, imagine that someday, I think that someday my Redeemer will live. He says, I know. It's knowledge. He's convicted of it. I know my Redeemer lives. Absolute trust. What incredible faith. I know that my Redeemer lives. And he talks about, he uses the word Redeemer. Now, this is where it gets a little bit, a little bit tough to understand because a lot of different views 
on what Job is exactly saying here when he says, I know that my Redeemer lived. If you remember when we started, I said we have to be careful about reading resurrection theology into my Redeemer lives. So what exactly does he mean when he says my Redeemer lives? The Hebrew word, your Hebrew lesson for today, uh, for Redeemer is goel. It's goel. That's what it means, goel. The Hebrew word for Redeemer is goel. And it actually shows up a lot of times in the Old Testament in many different places. Uh, commonly, it is used to describe commercial or judicial exchanges that are made to redeem, commercially or judicial term. Uh, for example, in Numbers chapter 35, uh, the word that is translated goel is translated avenger, specifically a blood avenger. Um, in, in Numbers chapter 35, it's, uh, God sets up uh, a way to make things right. He says that if a murder has taken place, and it happened on purpose, it wasn't an accident, there's been a murder, then someone, a relative, could be a blood avenger, could carry out justice, could kill the person who has now killed this person, a blood avenger, that he could, in some way, redeem the life that had been lost, could make things right. Uh, In Leviticus chapter 25, it talks, this word is used in reference to slavery, uh, that there could be one who could redeem someone out of slavery. If I had become... If I lost a lot of money, I was poor, needed money, one of the options that I would have, I could sell myself into slavery. I could sell myself off to somebody who would then, slavery, we have a, a weird view of it today, of what slavery would be, but back then it wasn't all bad because they, the, I would have someone that could provide for me and I would work for him the rest of my life. But then at some point, if one of my relatives wanted to come along, give a lump sum of money, he could redeem me out of slavery. He could buy me back out of slavery, which is a pretty cool picture, just side note of Jesus when it says that he's our redeemer, that he buys us out of slavery with his blood. But in the Old Testament, he used, the, the word is used to describe buying out of slavery, to make, the, to make things right again. Uh, then in the book of Ruth, if you've ever studied the book of Ruth, the, the kinsman redeemer, the, uh, God had set up a formula, a, a, a way for if there was a widow, in this case Ruth, who had lost her husband and had no children, and she had no heir for the family name to be carried on, that a, a relative of the husband who had died, the kinsman redeemer, the Goel, could marry Ruth. And we know that's Boaz. He marries and produces an heir, that the, that the family line would be redeemed. That's how we see it. It's used in like a commercial judicial term to make things right again. Um, but that's not the only way it's used in the Old Testament. It's not the only way. In fact, in uh, Psalm chapter 19, David calls God his redeemer. says, Yahweh, you are my redeemer. You're, the, you're my redeemer. Um, in Isaiah chapter 43, God actually talking about himself says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. The word redeem means, if we make it really simple, it means to buy back. It means to buy back. When I was studying the book of Ruth just a couple months ago, a bunch of our high school students, uh, we were talking about this word redeem, and one of the high school students defined it like this, said, I think redeem means to make things right. That's kind of the idea, to redeem, to buy back, to make it back to be the way it was supposed to be. When God, when Jesus redeems us, he's trying to return us back to how creation was, how we were originally created to be in relationship with God, to make things right. Um, So here's the question. All of that to lead to this. Uh, In which way is Job referring to a redeemer here? Is he referring it to like a judicial commercial uh, way, or is he referring it to Yahweh is my redeemer? Because here's the first way someone might look at it is that I know that my redeemer lives, that what Job is hoping for is that a close relative would come along and defend his name, would redeem his name, say, no, Job is a good man, a God-fearing man, and bad things have happened to him. It doesn't make sense at all. That's, that's, that's one 
thought that people have. The other thought is, is that Job is actually talking about Yahweh, God, being his redeemer. He understands that God is his redeemer. Um, the NIV, that's the version I'm reading from, it kind of already tells you what they think because they capitalize the word R on redeemer. They're claiming that it's Yahweh, it's God. They've interpreted it for us, uh, that it, my redeemer lives. Uh, I think it's both. That's what I think. I think it's both because certainly Job would love for a family member to stand up for him and say, no, Job is a God-fearing good man who has done nothing wrong, and yet these bad things have happened for him, happened to him. But if you just keep reading, you can't get around the fact he's talking about Yahweh, God as Redeemer. Look at it. And that in the end, he, the Redeemer, will stand upon the earth. That in the end of time, Yahweh is going to stand upon the earth. It's interesting because originally in verse 23 and 24, uh, Job says, I want my testimony engraved. It's going to stand in silence forever. It's going to proclaim my innocence. But now, one day, a redeemer at the end of time, he's going to stand. He will be my actual redeemer. He's the one that will make things right. Verse 26, and after my skin has been destroyed, or literally like just taken off, gone, yet in my flesh, I will see God. Most scholars say that's a reference to a bodily resurrection, that he actually believes that in his flesh he will see God. It's not just a, not just like a, a, a spiritual vision, not some kind of dream, but actually in his flesh he will see God. He just reiterates in verse 27, I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. And then he just ends with what I think is a cool statement, how my heart yearns within me. I yearn for that day when I will be vindicated. I yearn for that day when I will be redeemed, when all the bad things that have happened to me will be made right. And I, Job, I don't think he even, he's not even thinking like, hey, that's going to happen in my physical life here. He's looking towards heaven. He's looking towards the future because the promise is not, hey, when things go bad, then God's going to make things good somewhere in your life too. That's not how it works, right? That's, that's not at all. Job has a pretty bad life here and he's just saying, God, I look, my heart yearns for the day when I will be redeemed, when things will be made right. He has a faith that goes beyond circumstance, um, uh, which is incredible to me because Job doesn't have the New Testament like us. He doesn't have verses like Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 that says in him we have redemption through his blood that's jesus the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of god's grace see what we know now that we look at this because we're over here in 2012 and we look back at this verse and we know job doesn't know that the redeemer's name is jesus he doesn't realize that but we do we know his name is jesus we know that by his blood he has redeemed us from our sins that he has paid the price he has saved us uh but not only did he die and pay the price with his blood, but he rose again. And that's what's significant. I know that my Redeemer, he is one who lives. So this past spring, I was, uh, me and my wife both, we were up, we were in Peru, gets down. We were down in Peru, but we were up in the Andes Mountains at 13,000 feet. Went there with a group of people from our church, and we uh, went there to tell people about Jesus. That's what we wanted to do, and we worked with schools in the small village, only about 500 people in the small little village of Wamantanga. Um, up in the Andes Mountains and just, and just work all day to, to tell people about Jesus. And um, the last night we were there, we had the opportunity to tour through this church 
that was there. There's one church in the city, and there's this town plaza. And, and for the, the town being so poor and people living in really not good conditions, there's this huge church that's constructed, amazing church that's constructed in this, this small little village. It was constructed originally by the Catholic Church. It's a Catholic, it's, it is a Catholic church, rarely ever used. Um, everybody there would call themselves Catholic, but they're not really, not really Catholic at all because uh, somewhere along the lines, uh, well before the Catholic Church ever came in, the city of Wamantanga worshipped who they called Senor Wamantanga. Wamantanga was their god. That's who they worshipped. And when, uh, when the church came in and told them Christianity, Catholicism, uh, they meshed the two belief systems together, synchronized the two belief systems together. So if you were to ask, the people there, who is Jesus? They would say, oh, that's easy. He's Senor Wamantanga. That's their belief system. Jesus is Senor Wamantanga. And they got all these stories about when Senor Wamantanga came to them and Senor Wamantanga died on a cross and things like that. But they don't really, they don't really fully understand. So the last night we were there, our group, we went into the church building. It's there. This, it had been locked up all week, able to walk in. There's incredible like just incredible decorations and there's these huge murals all across the walls of this huge church building. It's never used, but these incredible murals painted. There's all these paintings of Senor Wamantanga doing these different things and it looks like Jesus, kind of, but Senor Wamantanga uh, doing these different things in the villages and there's pictures of Senor Wamantanga dying and they have this belief system that, that Senor Wamantanga one day, he locked himself in a hut and he was a carpenter convenient. He was a carpenter and he was building something for days and people would leave food outside his house and then eventually the, the hammering and the sawing stopped and people got worried what happened to Senor Wamantanga. And then when they opened the door of the hut, they found Senor Wamantanga hanging on a cross. He had killed himself inside of his hut. That's their belief system, right? So there's pictures of the, like a hut and, and Senor Wamantanga hanging on a cross. And this, this is what's painted on the walls. In fact, at one place, right when you first walk in, there's this, uh, like this casket that's, that's, that's glass encased of like this wax statue or something of Senor Wamantanga, Jesus, lying there, just dead. That's just, it's really creepy. Uh, laying there as you first, how you like that walk in a church? It's a dead body. Uh, that's, what it, that's what it looks like as you walk in and look at it. But here's the crazy thing. This is just incredible to me. All these paintings, of all these things that he did, of all these paintings of his death, and just and a body of him dead. You know what there's not a painting of? An empty tomb. There's no painting of a resurrection. There's no life after death. Their entire belief system is Senor Wamantanga came and he lived and he might have done these good things and he might have said good things, but then he died on a cross and he's gone. He's no longer around. My Redeemer lives. Do you want to know the difference between one who's, when they face tough circumstances and they have faith and one who faces tough circumstances and they don't have faith? The one says, my Redeemer, he lives. He's not dead. My Redeemer lives. That's where Job is at. That's the difference. Job understands, my Redeemer, he is alive. Uh, no pictures of a resurrection there at all. With no resurrection comes no hope. And with no resurrection, there's really no need for faith. It reminds me of that uh, hymn, Because He Lives, I don't know if you've heard it before. Because He Lives, I Can Face Tomorrow. Because He Lives, All Fear Is Gone. Isn't that true? That's what, that's what Job is clinging to in this moment. Um, so what do we do with all this? I got two thoughts for you to wrap this up. Two things I think we can learn. Two things we can learn from Job, specifically as we come to chapter 19. Here's the first thing. First thing. First thing. Uh, faith is possible even when our experiences tell us it's not. Faith is possible even when our experience tells us it's not. For Job, his experience is telling him, in fact, he even says, God is my enemy. He is against me. But his faith says, 
God is for me. He is my redeemer. He's working for my good. Uh, Dr. Bob Jones, Jr., I don't believe in all his theology. Maybe you've never heard of him. But he said this, never doubt in the darkness what God has taught you in the light. Never doubt in the darkness what God has taught you in the light. Isn't that true? But there are times when life is just dark, and it's hard to remember that God is, what God has taught us in the light. Uh, Job didn't have the New Testament, like I said earlier. He didn't have words like 2 Corinthians 4.16 that says this, Therefore, do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, but inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. See, the difference is that Job understood something greater is coming. My Redeemer lives. Uh, faith is possible even when our experience tells us it's not. Uh, yesterday when I was sitting with that college student in my office and we were talking, just incredible coincidence, or I don't like coincidence, it's like God-ordained planned moment, but I was speaking on this today. And so we talked about Job and that life and how bad things happen, and, and we got to end our conversation, and what she said to me is this, maybe sometimes in life it is so dark that the only thing you can say is my Redeemer lives. The only amount of faith we can say is my Redeemer lives. Sometimes we ask the question, why God? And the only thing, we don't get a response. So the only thing we can say is, but my Redeemer lives and I will cling to that. And that is what gets us through. Uh, The second thing I want to point out for you uh, is this, that faith is not dependent on God explaining himself. Faith is not dependent on God explaining himself. We know Job that he doesn't get an answer. He's crying out, God, why? What in the world's going on? He's asking his friends, explain this to me. They're debating. No answer. Faith is not dependent on God explaining to, explaining himself. Job does not cry out, my Redeemer lives because God gave him an answer. That's not what happens. He just cries out in the midst of tragedy, my Redeemer lives. He's living in this weird zone between, God, I'm your enemy, but at the same time, I have faith that you are still good. You're still my Redeemer. Uh, we can't always fully understand God, and yet Job doesn't understand him, and yet he still has faith. Uh, so here's my, my question for you to wrap this whole thing up. The question is this. Do your circumstances dictate your faith? Do your circumstances dictate your faith, or does your faith dictate your response to circumstances? Does your circumstances dictate your faith, or does your faith dictate your response to circumstances? The challenge for us is to, even in the bad times, even on the bad days and bad weeks, bad months and bad years, to say, I will have faith. My Redeemer lives. Here's the crazy thing. Uh, Kate and our daughter, well, my wife, she miscarried on March 7th, 2010. Craziest thing happened. March 7th, 2011, just after 8 o'clock at night, Kaden was born. Exactly one year later. Isn't that crazy? You know, God doesn't promise us that we'll have an answer for everything in the moment. But isn't it cool when God does show up? Uh, one of our friends says, what an incre- told us what an incredible act of redemption. What a redeeming God that he would do that. And we named Caden, as Chad said earlier, Caden Elizabeth Ann after uh, the Bartrist's daughter, Elizabeth, because we believe that Beth, our friend, was an inc- had an incredible testimony of faith, even in trying circumstances. Um, and we can be that kind of person too. Let's pray. And I think the band's going to come back up. God, I thank you that you are that you are so good to us, even in trying times, even in difficult times, even when times are dark. Um, God, I thank you for the testimony of Job that he was faithful, 
even when uh, things were out of control in his life, even in situations that we would look at and say, how could he have faith? God, he was still faithful. I pray that we would be people like that. That even though we may not fully understand every situation, that we would cling to, but my Redeemer lives. Because of that, we have hope for tomorrow. God, I pray that you just convict our hearts, cause us to love you better and trust in you better today. In your name I pray. Amen.